Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. As always, I am Anthony Maliki in the U.S. Editor of Waters, and of course I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. I like that you have to qualify that, as always, you're Anthony Maliki, and sometimes you're not. I mean, listen, you know, it's not like people really pay attention <laughs> to these kind of things anyway. I'm pretty sure they all skip ahead to the timestamps. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, got a little bit of a cold, so sorry if uh, if I'm coming through a little bit rusty. We rusty-ish. both got colds. It's going to be this nice kind of like husky horse. Yeah. Um, this is what happens when you drink together at the bar, you know, all the time together, yeah. and then make out, of course. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, let's see here. Today we're going to talk uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, had um, got got the gang together for the Technology Advisory Committee. And so we're going to discuss some of the stories that came off of that, um, delve in a little bit more um, into those. Before we get going, uh, just a quick reminder, uh, the sell-side technology awards, which are open to vendors in the, that geared toward your banks, your brokerages, your exchanges, uh, the deadline to enter into those awards is February 23rd. Sorry for not giving you more notice. We weren't told. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was going up, so I'm not even sure. This, this could have already been extended for all I know. I don't really know. So February 23rd might be the final deadline. I'm not 100% sure on that one. Either way, next week, guys. Let's yeah, see. so get those out. Um, if you have some questions, shoot them through to me. But again, I'm out of the loop on that one, too. Um, the cool thing is, though, if you're in Britain, the Southside Technology Awards for the first time ever will be in London. Yeah, this could be fun, actually. And James uh, might be there, possibly. I might be there. You can come we'll meet me. Um, it's probably a reason to stay away, really. But exactly. Yeah, nice. um, so, um, <laughs> all right. The Technology Advisory Committee, TAC, mm. meets for the first time. I'm just want to run through some numbers here, first of all. Mm-hmm. I was a little pissy after listening to this yeah. damn thing. We broke it up where James listened to the first part in the morning, which discovered blockchain and cryptocurrencies. I listened to the middle piece, which uh, was talking about automated trading and artificial intelligence. And Amelia David, our uh, other U.S. Uh, reporter here, um, covered the uh, the cybersecurity uh, end of it. For the piece that I listened to, it, it really felt like I was amazed that people weren't just walking out of the room because of just just the lack of any just substance that was coming at us. But let's, let's uh, a couple of funny numbers here running through. So <clears throat> let's see here. The between May two thousand five and July two thousand ten, um, the TAC did not meet. So they they it just basically disbanded. Um, Scott O'Malley, former commissioner Scott O'Malley, now over at ISDA, uh, came in and that was one of his key initiatives was to yeah. bring back the the TAC, you know because. Surprisingly, technology, even in the commodity space, is actually starting to come in. Actually, I remember I interviewed him back in like 2012, 2013 for a feature talking about the CFTC's um, technology. He was like talking about when he came in there in late 2009, I think it was, um, how they were still just sending information via fax, then the people at CFTC would get it, enter it into their systems via fax. It was oh, yeah. antiquated, yeah. to be sure. So O'Malley comes in uh, starting July 2010, but from July 2010 to when he left in July 2014, the TAC got together 15 times, okay? 15 times. So between 2005, 2010, nothing. 2010 to 2014, 15 times. Mm -hmm. O'Malley leaves. Um, They don't, again, meet until until, 
2016, and then not again until this last week. To be fair, I think that's because they have one commissioner for like two years. <laughs> Understaffed. I'm, I'm not. Bl- I'm not putting this on any one person. I'm not saying you know God bless Scott O'Malley here. I'm just mm-hmm. saying there is a problem here when you're markets are becoming increasingly more driven by technology mm-hmm. and you don't get people together. So you finally get people into the room. Tough, like everybody on that panel was impressive. People, people heavy who, hisses, we've, man, yeah. who we've spoken with who have real valuable insights to give on technology. And just turned into everybody saying, oh, well, we're doing great. This is great. Love it. All good. It sounded like a meeting of Donald Trump, you know, just kind of just sitting around just being like, let's all pat each other on the back. Cool. Did we have it? We talked. We hit on uh, blockchain. We hit on cryptos. We hit on AI. All right. It's Valentine's Day. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know. So that was my initial take on it, and I just had to get that off my chest. You know, before so you kind of understand that we're coming into this with a little bit of um, <laughs> a little bit of venom. Should we say a little, slight bit of salt? Slight <laughs> bit of salt. Yeah. Well, let's start. Uh, let's start with the first article that went up from this. Yeah. Um, and it was Charlie Cooper from Managing Director. Three, yes. Three. Uh, this is in contrast to the the later sessions. The morning sessions were actually okay. Yeah, and this um, one was uh, this one was valuable. Yeah, and so Charlie Cooper comes in, and anyone who's spoken to him before knows that he's quite an off the cuff kind of guy. Um, speaks his mind about a lot of stuff, and uh, he came in and, and even said, "I'm not going to deliver the speech I thought I was going to," and pretty much ad libbed the rest of it. And he pretty much just railed at uh, a lot of people from society at large, having the mindset of um, technology development following mobile phones and expecting the newest, biggest things to be rolled out immediately. And I think he had a lot of frustration about how people expected uh, distributed ledger to be at a mature state now, and it isn't, um, through to the regulatory um, approach towards sort of fintech and, and DLT in general. And, he had some points. Some of them were a bit peculiar. So he kind of he talked about it was very complimentary of the CFTC with the Lab CFTC initiative and the way that Giancarlo has gone about encouraging fintech. But then he said, you know, if you contrast the American regulators to the UK regulator, the FCA, or the Singaporean regulator, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, it's just a gulf between them. He said, you know, the FCA has actually been in the lab with R three, with RBS, with Santander, developing things with them. Um, he said. Well, that piece, no, I, I want to jump in there. Sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off in mid-thought there. That's my bad. I got a cold, man. You know, it's all right. It's fine. Uh, but that was a good point is he talked about how, yes, that they're in the lab with them and for with the FCA, with uh, some of the other firms. Um, what was it? Brian Knight, a special government employee for the CFTC, part of the uh, TAC uh, yeah, committee, right? He's, he's a research fellow at an at a academic institute, um, but he's a special government employee as yeah. well. Yeah. He said, you know, he was asking whether or not it's appropriate for the CFTC to be in the labs with these firms, that's which just shows a fundamental differing of opinion. Very, there. very interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, I mean, you know, listening to it on its surface, it sounds great. You know, yeah, sure, the regulators should be in the lab and they should be getting to grips with the guts of the technology and understanding it. But then it's also, are you giving a, a hallmark stamp, uh, you know, to various companies and are you working with them and acting as a consultant and does that lead you down the garden path if you have to have a consultation with the regulator to bring things to market as well? Uh, and also, you know, the regulator's job isn't necessarily to regulate technology. It's to ensure fair and orderly markets. Does that mean it should be in the lab with these people? But I think the wider point was that um, while the CFTC is doing a lot of good work, the U.S. regulatory landscape is so fragmented. You have the SEC, you have the CFTC, you have the Fed, you have the Office of the, the Control of the Currency. Yeah. Um, then even the Fed, you have the individual Feds who do their own thing yeah. as well. And he said there's no kind of 
coordinated drive. And as a result, the US risks falling behind in fintech regulatory oversight, which is not necessarily the same as falling behind in fintech. I mean, America is by far the biggest market. Like, the UK likes to claim that yeah. it's big, but if you add the West Coast and the East Coast together, there's just no contest. Yeah, exactly. We almost put the country into two in that regard. Yeah, and, exactly. and that is the whole thing. It's like the UK, Singapore, and you know, I wasn't as aware of Canada, to be sure, um, and even Hong Kong, that they've been very aggressive in creating these fintech sandboxes. Government regulators really kind of examine it. Yeah. You don't see that as much yet here, as you said, in a coordinated effort. So I do understand that. So they have jumped out to the lead in that regard. With that said, these are still just fintech firms. These are nascent technologies, uh, you know, in, in many ways. Yeah. You know, so There's cultural differences as well. Like, you know, um, I think uh, Knight made that point as well, where he said, you know, do you want an environment where people are free to bring things to market, or do you want an environment where the government gets involved in what people develop and that kind of thing as well? And that's a very American perspective, I think. Sure. You know, the idea of government not getting into your business model, whereas in the UK, uh, particularly the FCA, I guess, and then its predecessor, the F- FSA, they're feared. You know, when you got called into um, into Canary Wharf, it, it was a big deal, whereas, yeah. you know, the regulators may be less so in the past here and that kind of thing. So they're more used to direct intervention. You know, the Monetary Authority of Singapore is also the central bank. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a different setup to the US where everyone has their own little piece of the pie that they regulate and, and they go from there. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought Cooper, you know, he, he, the, the whole point behind it seemed like was, you know, for him, anyway, he's obviously got a, a dog in this fight, but, you know, the worst case for his firm would be, uh, as you wrote, to spend millions of dollars on developing DLT solutions, only be told by the regulators that the products weren't compatible right. uh, with policy. And, and I think there's a little bit of salt behind that as well. I mean, I've spoken to R3 quite a lot over the years and, uh, most recently, I spoke with Todd McDonald, Cybos uh, in Toronto, and, and he sort of said to me, "Look, a while back we had David Rutter at a risk conference, and I saw their kind of their plan of what they're developing across all things like trade finance, I guess trading, yeah, treasury management, payments, all the rest of it. It was enormous." And I said to Todd, "Like, mate, you know, you can't look at all this. Surely you can't still be seeing all these projects." He's like, "No, we've had to rein in our scope quite a lot actually yeah. over the last year, and we're focusing on a very narrow subset." So I wonder how much of this is coming from. R three having to maybe pull it back a little bit mm-hmm. and sort of you know um, realign their priorities and and some frustration boiling over perhaps from that versus the other point but you know either way it was, it was something Charlie Cooper bless him had a little bit of spark of vitality to an otherwise very dreary morning <laughs> at uh, the CFTC. Well, let's go into some of the dreariness. Yeah, Commodity Futures Trading Commission CFTC proposed a rule called Regulation Automated Trading. They, it's been a very controversial. We've written a lot about it. Yeah, and. Uh, they had a panel called something something about, uh, I don't know, I wrote it down, whatever the hell it was. Uh, but it's about, you know, automated trading is what it's looking at. Okay. Oh, it was it developments and challenges with automated trading technologies. This is not a knock on the panels. The panels did fine. Mm-hmm. It was the structure that I had a big problem with on this. Um, where you had uh, Larry Tab, uh, well-respected, long-time, you know, uh, more toward the equity space, uh, covering the equities derivatives yeah. there. Market structure. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. market structure. Um, Brian Durkin, president CME, and uh, Yesha Yadav, uh, uh, who's a professor of law at Vanderbilt University. Um, you know, they each had a, a discussion. Yeah. Okay. And then at the end, it was opened up to questions. There were a couple comments that people made, but no one asked any questions. What was unfortunate, I, th- I felt, the reason why, you know, you kind of listen to this is that in the morning, the opening remarks, you had uh, Commissioner uh, Rostin Benham yep. 
he said that he is pleased that the TAC plans to resuscitate at least some of Regulation 18, which I'm not 100% sure what that meant to resuscitate. It would have been fun to maybe have a little bit of yeah, a discussion I mean, around that. Sort of, when you hear Regulation 18, you think the source code provision, right? But it had yeah. lots of other parts there as well. lots of other pieces so, that, you know, you know that, that the industry and the comment letters were positive towards. Yeah. Um, but then you had uh, Brian Contens, Commissioner Brian Contens, come out and say the commission should not adopt automated trading regulations to address amorphous hypothetical concerns or simply for the sake of having them on the books. Um, and that was in the closing remarks by uh, uh, Chairman Giancarlo. That was echoed, that same exact yeah, sentiment. So they're clearly of a mind on that topic. Well, both coming from the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better than Democrat then? Yes. Oh, right, okay. Because he looks like a 1980s uh, action movie villain. So, <laughs> just just a big value of a uh, former uh, boxer. Um, <laughs> but, um, so they didn't, the unfortunate thing was nothing was talked about on automated trading from a regulatory perspective, from a technology implementation, from any sort it's of... even mentioning it. I mean, come on, like you've already teased it out. At least, yeah. you know, give us the money. Here it is, we don't really know. So the one thing that did come out outside of that is the U.S. Uh, House... On Wednesday, they voted uh, th- to ensure that the Securities and Exchange Commission will continue to have to seek a subpoena before assessing proprietary source code from high-frequency traders. Uh, this was from a story in, I'm, I'm 99% sure this is Reuters, but I don't see a, a bookmark uh, on it. Bloomberg, I think. Yeah. Uh, Bloomberg? Yeah. Bloomberg, sorry, my bad. Um, the title of the article is House Votes to Require SEC Subpoena for Trader Source Code. Anyway, um, so that passed 271 to 145. The Senate hasn't scheduled a vote on that legislation, but it's basically there to protect intellectual property. So we're going to go to the source code provision. Yeah. Um, they had, the CFTC backed off a little bit on source code previously saying, well, first of all, John Carlos is dead set against it, uh, is on record as being dead set against it. So it's probably going to die anyway, yeah. um, as, as we've written before. But um, that they said, well, you need a subpoena or the CFTC commissioners could approve it. Which is basically the same as saying that you know that you don't need a subpoena essentially, but then they backed away from that anyway. Mm. Um, you have de- during the House uh, vote, they said uh, Maxine Waters, Democrat of California, who's pro um, this provision uh, being able to access source code without a subpoena, said that this uh, helps high frequency traders to avoid regulatory oversight. Yes, if you ignore the whole fact that you need a subpoena. Yeah. So just get the damn subpoena. How about we follow the rule of law? But I mean, I would have thought that would have been in the in the regulation anyway. But you know, that's uh, amazing that it wasn't. It's, well, it's the way it's always been. Is now they just want to get rid of the subpoena aspect, so they can just say, "I want uh, the source code. Let me see it." Yeah. Because there was a flash crash or was a big crash. I need. I want to unravel. As if Maxine can go and look at a bunch of source code and figure out exactly what went wrong in right. that. Yeah. You request subpoena. Oh yeah, and like the CFTC. Guys who work in these specialized departments never go into industry afterwards with those yeah. secrets as well. But yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Though, I think like kind of this attitude towards it, though, like it's part of a wider shift in the CFTC that I've definitely seen. I think over the last year, where you have Giancarlo coming in, um, who is an industry veteran, and like he's done a good job, I think, so far at the CFTC. But he brought in other people as well. So Quintens, a former uh, hedge fund manager, a lot of people from industry. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to notice, I think, this change in attitude at the CFTC from being a very adversarial regulator towards being one that's more accommodating to the industry. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, you'd but expect you, that with, with the changing... Once once Donald Trump won that election and the Republicans yeah. took power, you almost had to. You almost had that to, right. That, that kind of pro-business yeah. outlook. But then you don't want to go too far into the side either, where you have 
hard-charging chairmen like Giancarlo who have an agenda. And they're looking at changing a lot of things. Uh, you know, he's already criticised after, you know, Title Seven of Frank Act with the CEFs and everything else, and he's famous for his white paper released. The other week he was challenging the uh, Bank for International Assessment's definition of the derivatives market, saying it's misleading, you rely on notional, not on various other measures. Mm-hmm. Now they're talking about sort of, you know, adversarially about regulation in its own right, and then the next story we'll get onto about self-regulation in crypto markets as well. Yeah. And all there's just this, this quiet shift I see in attitude <laughs> towards it that the work isn't quite done from the financial crisis yet for mm-hmm. the CFTC and the SEC. They've proved a lot of rules, but it's not finished. And is it time to be taking the feet off the gas like this? I'm not entirely sure it's a wise shift in attitude. But Well, so as we go into this new paradigm of cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. um, to your point, uh, content, uh, he said... Um, he repeated, I guess, something they already said, but that the, the, the cryptocurrency industry should form a self-regulatory organization. Yeah, so he said this a couple of weeks ago at a Yahoo conference and then repeated it again at the, the TAC meeting. Um, and, I mean, it raised a few eyebrows from everyone I've spoken to, at least, just sort of saying, really, self-regulate, like the, the crypto market? Um, even the big players in it, like Coinbase, for instance, that runs GDAX, last night had a big scandal where they've been overcharging people's bank accounts and emptying them. And these are the people who want self-regulating. Like, I mean, come on. Like this, and I, so I wrote a piece about it. Um, slightly different to what we normally cover on more. So there's five things to consider about should crypto market participants set up a self-regulator. Um, and having like a crypto FINRA, I think, is a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. Like crypto is a space that's only nine years old anyway. You don't have the experience in market surveillance, in watching market patterns develop and everything else to put a competent regulatory framework in place as it is anyway. Um, there's room maybe for standards. I mean, GDAX started doing that last year by releasing a framework for what assets would accept, which is like a first point, even though it was very thin. So maybe like a National Futures Association type thing might be an idea, but um, there are just too many problems in cryptocurrency markets. And yeah. Even in the last couple of months, the SEC and the CFTC have issued half a dozen enforcement releases against... ICA operators and, and pump and I think last night actually the CFTC issued a warning about pump and dump schemes um, and uh, you know there's, the market structure has matured a bit so you have now listed futures and you have elements of custody starting to come in and you have um, authorised swap execution facilities clearing houses for options um, but it's nowhere near what you would consider to be mature. Mm-hmm. And like taking that point, even the list of futures, the, the first three-month contracts have yet to mature yet. So, I mean, it's a bit early, I think, to be talking about self-regulation. This is the point where you need absolute regulation from the CFTC, from the SEC, and they need to sort out this weird pissing contest they have with Congress about, well, we can regulate futures contracts, but we can't regulate the underlying spot markets. It's like, well, no, if you're allowing a product to be listed, go and get the approval to regulate the underlying spot market. Then we'll talk about them setting up a self-regulatory organization. It just seems... It felt a little bit also like kicking the can down yeah, the road, I mean, right? That's the thing. Like, we can't do this just yet. Uh, so maybe you guys just sort it out for us and uh, <laughs> provide a basis. And again, coming back to my previous point about being a little too close to the industry and, and changing that mindset a little bit too much, the cryptocurrency market participants, and I want to be absolutely clear about this, should not be setting regulatory direction for yeah. the cryptocurrency markets. That should not happen under any circumstance. Well, just because think about why cryptocurrencies were created in the well, first exactly. place. It was supposed yeah, to be this, this libertarian it. utopia of just Wild West and just stay the hell away from us. Well, again, I mean, and I'm trying not to pick on GDAX, but, you know, you're the biggest fish in the pond. You're going to get the most attention. But when they had their Ether flash crash earlier this year, they went, oh, yeah, well, whoops, maybe we should put some circuit breakers in. Yeah, maybe, guys. You know, like, basic stuff that 
isn't in place and it's just you know it's like giving kids a loaded gun and saying there you go make sure we don't shoot each other you yeah. know sort of yeah um, which is I'm sorry I'm joking poor taste this week but you know yeah. um, but it's just absurd I mean and it's premature and as you say it feels like kicking the can down the road a bit now Quinten's like had there was a media call before the TAC meeting and he was a bit more kind of um, I guess contrite about rather than saying yes we should create a f- they should create a FINRA he was more like well no maybe they should set some standards and stuff but still it's a bit of a dangerous thing to say mm-hmm. and I think it gives people the wrong idea the idea that the CFTC is not looking at these markets and the SEC is not it's content to let you guys manage yourselves that, in that way lies madness yeah I think so yeah. it'll be interesting to see you know God, I'll be interested to see when they hold their next TAC meeting here um, to see <laughs> you know how this progresses forward um, or if there's any drive to really have it at all, mm. um, because I'll be honest with you, if if that's what this meeting's going to be, is the, at least the pieces that I listen to, you know, we can do without this. It's it's yeah. not you know it's not really it's just a public forum for saying everything's fine and uh, not really delving into getting all these smart people into the room and having an honest open discussion. Well, maybe now they form subcommittees for every panel, uh, as if they weren't going to do that anyway. Why they bother to hold a vote? Maybe that'll lead to more detailed discussions and, and more granular kind of in-depth educational aspects to it. But, yeah, I mean, some of those panels were just disappointing, I thought, in terms of the depth they went into. And we should really be further along than we are, I think. Yeah. So those stories uh, we have up online. Uh, also, we'll link to them as well. Um, you know, before we go, uh, just because we try not to touch on politics too much, but, um, you know, every now and again, obviously mm. there's... There's reason to hit on it. Um, the shooting in Florida, obviously, that left 17 uh, high schoolers dead. Um, we did want to talk about it. Feel free to turn off now um, if uh, if you so choose. Yeah. Um, so Preston American talking about gun control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I guess, you know, it, it's working with a, for a British company. With a, <laughs> There are a lot of... Uh, Brits over here, yourself, obviously. Um, much of the risk team um, were previously worked in London. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of they're always asking me, you know, especially somebody who you know tends to vote Republican, and I do believe in the Second Amendment. Um, you know, what do you do with this? How does it go forward? And it's always like there's just a simple fact here, and it's it's a rough fact, but it's just a fact that ultimately, as a society, we don't really have the the drive to make any substantial changes we've seen that um and so it this is a byproduct of what we've created here but i find it amazing that people are just willing to accept this i mean like speaking as an outsider here and and you know i understand the second amendment i understand the you know the right to bear arms shall not be infringed and i understand the place that weapons have in american culture and the need for them in some parts of america as well you don't need an automatic rifle that can fire forty-five bullets a second a minute. To, well, you, you, know, know, you had you had the president going out here saying he was a mentally uh, di- disturbed individual. It's like you repealed yeah. an Obama Amer- uh, Obama administration thing that that said that the, the uh, mental uh, I'm come up with the wrong word right now. I'm gonna yeah. have it cold here, but um, yeah, but you, you mean, repealed that you know to to just make it easier for people who are mentally disturbed. The kid was seventeen years old. He owned an AR fifteen legally. Yeah. He's too young to buy a beer, but he can own an assault rifle. Yeah. I mean, like, what the hell? Can no one see what's going wrong in this situation? Like, I mean, 
And look, I'm not saying ban all guns. I mean, I, I personally, I think you should ban all guns because I don't understand why people need to own them in this day and age unless you're a farmer or, uh, you know, you live in a land with coyotes or something. I don't know. Um, but, like, it, it, I mean, it's just absurd. Like, it's, it, and You can't, because it, it, it's what I've always said. You're never going to get rid of guns. It'll create a civil war. Um, it'll create a civil war. But look, I mean... But there are common sense legislation that we could start with. But there are no politicians that here, here's what I think has to happen actually if it's never going to happen on the right it, the, the Republican side of this will never be the one to lead this charge but much the same way that you saw the Tea Party as bad as I think that the Tea Party was for both the Republican Party and the country as a whole it was insanely effective they started to say you better adhere to our principles on the deficit, on uh, uh, government spending. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, even though you're a Republican, in name only, Rhino, we're going to run somebody against you. We're going to primary you. We don't care. You could be a long-term Republican that's served and voted with the Republican Party each time. We're going to kick you out. I kind of feel like the only way that any real change can happen is to first get, you'll have to have a, a Democrat as president, and then you'll have to have an a group on the right, caucus on, or I'm sorry, caucus on the left, similar to the Tea Party, that says to Democrats, you keep on, you know, yelling stuff like that. You're going to now have to go in there and do something about it, and it might cost you your seat. Mm -hmm. The NRA might fund somebody against you, but we will fund you if you fight, and if you don't fight for gun legislation in this country, then we're going to vote, then we're going to primary yeah. you, and you'll be out of a job anyway. Well, I mean, also, another simple way to do it is to ban political contributions from special interest groups. I mean, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's absurd that the NRA can contribute $50 million over the course of a year to political campaigns ranging from congressmen being reelected through to the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's the NRA. I mean, like, and this goes for any other interest group as well, like ISDA, for instance, or, um, or the FIA or, or whatever industry you want to be in. It's yeah. absurd that people should be allowed to have the hooks into this extent to politicians. But also the conversation needs to change as well. Like, you know, people talk about gun control in the States. And I listen to these, I'd never get involved in them because it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be bothered to argue with my wife about it, who let alone anything else. And, you know, her dad had a gun and nearly shot her once, and yet she's still for the Second Amendment. But, like, if everyone says banning guns won't solve the problem. Yeah, it won't. Banning guns won't solve the problem. It'll mitigate the problem, though. Like, you know, it's going to mean that people can't... 17-year-old kids cannot go and get an AR-15 assault rifle and buy it from a store, then walk into their class the next day and shoot people up. And if you're looking at trying to solve a problem, and if it, isn't, if it doesn't instantly solve every aspect of that problem and it's therefore a bad idea, you're insane. Yeah. I mean, that's not how things change. It's like, you know... Don't let people own automatic weapons. It's as simple as that. Like, That's the first thing. Remember step. the whole bump stock thing that the, that the NRA funded, and it almost worked, yeah. um, where they were able to, and they'll rework it at some point here, but it's just like even trying to get away, like where you can have these massive cartridges um, that you can put in, you know, 100 mm. rounds or whatever it is, I don't even know off the top of my head. Um, listen, you know, it, it's, again, <laughs> I keep on saying this to the left, I'm like, listen, you know, it is disgraceful that, you know, we keep on allowing this, you know, it's somebody who, you know, the town I went to high school in Carmel is, you know, 30-minute drive from Sandy Hook. Everybody says, oh, well, this is going to be the one that we're going to change. If Sandy Hook didn't do it for you, it's, it, you just, listen, you don't care. You, you, you oh, just don't care. And all the horror after Columbine, you know, one of the first real big scale ones. And Columbine isn't even the top ten 
oh, biggest school shootings anymore. Oh. It's incredible, and this keeps happening every year. And mm-hmm. ignore that statistic that there's a gun control group that said this is the 18th school shooting of this year. That's not true. Like, I mean, that's if a gun is discharged on campus, they count as a school shooting. But like, um, but it's a problem. And I like you know these kids. They grow up, and I dread sending my kids to public school in America. Not because I might get shot, because. Every morning they have to go through metal detectors when they walk in. And the that's school. the other thing is the thing. Let's have let's have metal detectors, armed police guards. Yeah. Yes, because that's a, that's where you want to send your kids for learning, we educational want to, we want to environment take guns off is campus, prison. not put them in there. Then the people saying teachers should be armed. <laughs> like, I, might, I, I went to school with some real fucking psychos. Excuse my language. I don't want them to be armed. You know, yeah. and um, it, it's just insane that people can see this happening again and again, and kids die. And that's the simple fact, is that kids are dying every month in America. But, but let's, let's back this up even. It is funny that the only time that America really starts talking about the guns is when it's a school shooting, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, when it's white kids being shot. Yeah. Look at the murder rates of Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, that great Jason uh, Fagonia story um, mm-hmm. about uh, what bullets do to a body. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah that was in Philadelphia. Hundreds and hundreds of inner city youths being shot with guns. Yeah. That never ticks, you know, everybody's just, you know, kind of, hey, you know that, that's, you know, that's in the inner city and stuff. That doesn't do it for us. And then we get outraged with these, but then, you know, quite frankly, there's the battle is going to be long. And here's the thing politicians are going to have to care about this more than being a long term senator, long term yeah. uh, House of Representative member. You're going to have to care about this more and fight for it. And yes, you will lose some battles because the NRA will fund somebody better than you. But I really believe that the only way that you're really going to see is it's going to have to come from the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite frankly, it's just going to have to. Um, and it's going to have to be a Tea Party-esque system that says you have to start taking this seriously. Otherwise, we're funding a primary candidate that will take this seriously. Don't just say, yes, I'll vote for any measure and I'll do all this when it's, when it's easy for you. Be a single issue Get out focus. in front and yeah. you actively stump and campaign. Quite frankly, during the presidential campaign, they didn't hear a lot about you know gun control, gun, not a lot of discussion, not a lot about, of discussion it. about it. And this is where someone like Obama, for instance, can really come in and help now. Because you know, remember his presidency, he was very, very, sure. uh, you know, you could visibly see how it felt oh, yeah. Now he has his foundation. He wants to enact political change. This is something that he kept behind as a former president. People listen. People still love Obama like yeah. on the left. And if he said, this is the issue we need to fight our battle on, this is the hill we need to fight yeah. on. If they create a uh, network that mm. will start funding candidates, that will take this seriously and not just say, yes, of course I will vote for any sort of you know getting rid of AR-15. Yeah. It takes more than that. It's actively stumping, explaining to your constituents why we're not taking all your guns. Yeah. It'll also require, quite frankly... You can't just get rid of AR-15. You have to create a federally funded program because, what is it, the Fifth Amendment? God, I should know my amendments. I think it's the Fifth Amendment that says that you can't seize property yep. you know, um, without compensation. So you go in, you say, which we break that law all the time with the, with the government, but, um, but we create something where you put in, we're going to give you fair market value for this weapon, federally funded, yep. um, and those are some of the things... Start getting some of these off out of people's hands. It's just, I mean, yeah, you create a law just saying there's no reason for a civilian to own a handgun. There is just not. Unless, well, unless, mean, but there, there are some you're not going to get anywhere with that. One. No, you're not going to. But what I, I mean, don't agree with that. What, well, unless you're a, unless there is a specific reason, like you're a, a, a law enforcement officer or 
various other reasons involved with that. That one's going to be too extreme. A handgun is a handgun. But, I mean, so looking at this, I know, handgun is a handgun, but looking at this from a very, very practical level, what reason is there for a civilian to own a handgun? Protection, quite frankly. Protection, you know, if okay. you want. Right. Or, or, you, or just as, you know, the practical would be protection. protection. Again, somebody breaks into your house, you are allowed to... And, again, it is a second amendment. you got to get rid of the second amendment to get rid of that. But I'm unfair. saying automatic weapons. I know, no. What I'm saying is that, here, like, you can own a handgun, then. It has mm-hmm. a six-shot maximum in the magazine yeah. um, before you have to change the magazine. Yeah. You can own a single-shot action, a single-action rifle. Mm-hmm. You can't own a rifle that fires automatically yeah, so or cannot be yep. You can own a shotgun if you live in a rural area and you need it and you can demonstrate your need for it. Oh, okay. Same as in the UK. Yeah. That's all you can own. And if you want to go hunting and you need like specialised equipment, then you have to get a specialised licence for it. There is no reason why you should be able to own automatic weapons of any kind, handguns that have a capacity of 30 bullets before you need to change the clip mm-hmm. of the magazine, uh, or any kind of repeating rifle, really. And like, you're never going to get the guns out of Wyoming. You're never going to get the guns out of... The rural areas sure, always, be there. always be there. But look at New York. You'd be like, New York has a handgun problem, sure. Again, that, that just happens in inner yeah. cities. London has a handgun problem. Yeah. Um, but we don't have anywhere near the problems that other states have where you're allowed to buy this stuff because it's so hard to buy a gun in New York. It's sort of, you know. It's going to have to happen. But again, it's not going to. And we are, we're all going to lament. We're going to keep on going through this. As I, don't, I, don't, I know it's bleak. I know it's pessimistic. I, I just. There's. We are, as a society, we are okay. We've become okay. We, we were far... Yeah. Before there were school shootings, there were inner-city shootings all the time, and we were okay with that. Yeah. This is now just the next logical progression. We're okay with this. You know, we're not going to have our Australia moment. If Sandy Hook wasn't our Australia moment, you're not yeah. going to have that here. Well, if Sandy um, Hook was your Dunblane, it was your Australia, it was everything, you know? You so just yeah. hope that at some point we can... It is a slippery slope, and it's a necessary slippery slope. Mm. Start with just the basics. Get rid of your automatics much, much more stringent check. It's, it's easier to get a gun than to get a driver's license. Yeah. You know, that's insane. And again, like, I understand the Second Amendment. I understand look, the right to bear arms in America and the right to form militias and the part that has in your history, and some of it makes sense, but you have to change with the times, man. Like, you know, that was written in the 18th century, and nowadays we have 300 well, million even, people. But around. again, you don't have to change anything about... Sorry, in the Second Amendment, it says well-regulated. These are things that are already written into it. It's well-regulated, but these are things that are already written into it that you can start to at least get the needle moving, at least start mm. to get that ball moving just a little bit. But, you know, we're not going to talk about it after every single one. You know, we haven't talked no. politics in a while. Um, you know, it's, and why would any of you care what the fuck James and Tony have to say? Yeah, like, like, sometimes we just use this forum because we just need to get shit off of our chest. And it's our podcast, so we can it's actually talk about what the hell we want. So. Nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> you know, feel free to take it over from us. <laughs> from my cold, dead hands. Um, all right. Well, enough of that. Um, We'll be back with uh, more cheery things. Maybe the Olympics, even though James doesn't watch any of the Olympics. So. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, no. that's because the Brits suck at athletic endeavors. Um, true. Very true. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back. Um, again, SST Awards, get your nominations in by next Friday because I'm not sure if there's an extension. Uh, also, I'm going to be at Boca um, in March, so if any of you guys are down there and want to meet up. FIA Boca. FIA not Boca. just Boca, just for the yeah, just, I'm going to be at Boca, yeah. yeah. FIA Expo in, in Boca, so if anybody wants to meet, then feel free to give me a shout and we'll see if we can put something up. All right, thank you guys. Until next week, enjoy the weekend and President's Day.